Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Good morning, LSQ. Scripture reading today can be found in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11, and Psalm 96, 11 through 13. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though I have seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sophie. All right. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We, we've been going through the Psalms this summer. We've been reading them, meditating on them, using them to cultivate Uh, time with the Lord. Now, for Christians, for uh, individuals that uh, know about these practices, we know that prayer and meditation, time with God, is a good thing, but we might actually struggle with how to actually approach God. And Christians know that if we're going to handle the hurts of the world, if we're going to be able to handle suffering, if we're going to be able to handle uh, um, the everyday challenges of life, what we're told, what we know and we've been taught is that we'll be able to handle those things based off of our connection with God with our, to the degree that we are able to relate to Him. The million dollar question though is how? How will we actually be able to do that? How can we overcome the sadness? How can we actually... Uh, get through the hurt? How do we get through the mundaneness of this world that's always broken? And I think that's a val- that's, that's, that, those are the, val- that's the valid question. At the same time, the question I get the most as a minister is this. I believe in God, but I don't feel his presence. I believe in God, but I don't, I don't feel his presence. See, I believe overcoming the evil and the brokenness of this world on one hand, and at the same time, experiencing God's presence... And actually being able to sit with him is actually achieved with the same medium. 
that this psalm is able to actually help us with. And that medium, I'm going to tell you right now, the solution is very simple. It's worship. It's worship. Now, before your eyes start glazing over and you start tuning me out, and the reason why I'm worried about that is because Christians who have grown up in the Christian world have heard that word used, but it's overly used. It's fuzzy. What does it mean? Non-Christian hear that word worship, and they think this is one of those religious words. Nobody really knows what it means. Uh, it's uh, confusing. It's not practical. But if God is God, if he is who he says he is, then we have every reason in this world not just to understand worship, but to embody it, to live it. And I think this psalm today helps us in that endeavor. This is the classic psalm given that shows us what worship looks like. And to be honest, it's actually the paradigm that we have placed in our bulletins that we follow every single Sunday. So if everybody wants to know, like, why do you do it the way that you do it this way? This is the sermon for you. This is what we're actually getting at. And then what we're going to see here is three things. One, worship is praise up to the creator for who he is. It's at the same time, then you kneel down to the redeemer to see who you are. And then it's out as we listen carefully to the rest giver to see where you're going. So it's up, down, out. So let's start. First, worship is praise up to the creator for who he is. When I was a campus minister, this is years ago, I used to often sit with a student or two, and, uh, the, and every t- I would sit with students that would um, often be either skeptical about God or not believe in God at all. And for whatever reason, I guess it was just being a college student, they would still want to meet up with me. And eventually, because they knew I was a minister, eventually the conversation would get to God, the topic of God. And what I would say is this. I'd say, listen, God is outside of time and space. And as a college student, you can't empirically ever prove God's existence. But you also can't disprove God's existence because he's outside of time and space. And so you have a decision to make, like everybody else in this world, we need to choose, does reality as how you experience it, does it make more sense that there's a God or not a God? If you believe that death is not okay, if you believe that there's a moral structure to how we live, that there is a right way and a wrong way to live, if you believe that you have meaning and purpose in this world, is it more likely there's a God or is it less likely that there's a God? And often the student on their own volition would eventually get to, all right, probably there's a God. And then I would say, okay, well, if there is, if that's true, then isn't it possible that if he made every fiber of our being, if he put everything about us into motion, shouldn't we then at some level learn who he is and praise him for that? And the answer is, of course, that's worship. If you want a simple definition of worship, it's very simple. Here it is. It's giving all that you are to all that something else is. I'll say it again. It, all, all worship is, you, you can worship anything you want, but it's giving all your presence, all that you are to all something else is. Look at the first five verses. Go to our text. Look at the first five verses of our text. And what the psalmist is saying is, if God made all these things, then all these things should start with praise. Look at verse one. Oh, come. All right, so invocation, come to what? Sing. 
Sing to who? Sing to the Lord. What? Joy. Okay? Joy. Make a joyful noise. This is verse 2. Why are you making a joyful noise? Well, he goes on. He starts giving us a list. Because he's the rock of our salvation. I mean, you can meditate on that for an entire day. What does it mean that he's the rock of my salvation? Two. Also, he, verse three, he's a great God. Not a small God, not a puny God. He's a great God, and he's a great king. All these images are giving us different sides to God's nature, and it's almost a list. And what the psalmist is do, doing is he's oozing praise, listing all the reasons to praise God. But remember, don't forget, what's the medium that he's doing it? He says song. And I always thought this was interesting, right? I think uh, modern people were, you know, give us the textbook. And we come to the Bible as a textbook. Like, give me the content. But it's actually, that's not always the best way to learn something, is it? Song is not just content. It's, it's what songs do, what we just did, is it takes fact and, and moves it into the heart. Because songs transport you. They move you. One of, um, I don't know if this is you, but I, I tend to listen to a song on repeat over and over and over again. I'm, I, it's my personality. But with the benefit of that is now I can, in any song or album I listen to, I can remember where I was when I first heard that song because I've listened to it like 30, 40 times. So if I hear any Bon Jovi right now, I, can, I remember I was in sixth grade and I was reading Lord of the Rings for the first time. Bon, I don't know why. Bon Jovi? I just think of Lord of the Rings now. Because, because what's happening there? Songs imprint us. They move us into the content. Whether And songs are filled with joy and sorrow. They have all kinds of emotions. But they imprint on us and move us. But what should we be imprinted on? Right? That's, that's the question. What, what, what should be given to us? Um, I love museums. Uh, and museums are amazing. And the reason why I love museums is because uh, when you go into them, they're filled with, well, you have the history kind of museums, like artifacts, but when you go into the Met, and I haven't been in the Met in, in years because of COVID, but what I love about the Met, my Monets are in the Met. And when I go there, you can sit in front of a Monet and you can see something and you can come back another day and you see something completely different. Because what's happening is when you stare at any good art, any painting, What's happening is you get lost in the colors, in the patterns, in the experiences. You, 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 the burst of what you're seeing is transporting you. Sometimes time and space get lost because in the essence of that moment, you're moved to praise. You're moved in wonder. You're moved in the awe, in the beauty of the thing. And what's that? That's worship. That's, that's at least an aspect of worship that we're just looking at right now. Because good worship always ends and moves into praise. So when you worship God, what you're doing is, you know, you're moving to see who he is and what he's like and what he's done. And the psalmist does that with this list. And notice, it always fuses. Praise is always some combination. What what's the ingredients of, of, of praise? It's some equal parts of thanksgiving and at the same time, um, uh, wonder. It's thanksgiving and wonder kind of put together. And I, I always thought that's actually fascinating because this is, in, look in verse 2. It's joy and thanksgiving. He says, let us come with thanksgiving, let us make a joyful noise. And there's, often in the Bible, you see these things slammed together. And I think the reason why is because you can't praise something 
unless you're thankful for it. And when you're thankful, you're praising. Why is it that at a concert, people kind of stand up and they start clapping? There's just like this, this rousing, you know, uh, just need and desire to clap. What are you clapping about? You're clapping about the performers and the art that they gave, but the beauty that you saw and your natural inclination is to thank them. But by doing it, you're thanking them by praising. And your praising is through thanksgiving. So they're interrelated there. At the same time of, of, of seeing beauty, beauty always elicits a response of praise and thanksgiving, some sort of combination. But this is why at any sports arena, we clap, we shout, we sing praise. That's, that's, that's worship. It's in our being that... that we don't know how not to do that. When we see the beauty on the court or the beauty in, the, in a song, we respond and we do it all the time, which is why, side note, which is why I never really, I, I, I've always wondered why people say, I believe in God, I just don't go to church. And I go, wait a second, you go to arenas to praise your sports team, you go to concerts to praise your musicians, yes, you could listen to them on your, on your, you know, your phone or you can um, watch your sports team on TV, but everybody knows it's different when it's in person. Everybody knows that in person, there's something about being there because you can't praise as well alone. And no offense, if you haven't gone through this pandemic and realized that, I can't help you. That there's something about physically being present, and, um, and for those who are here, that's great, but th for those who can't be, we know, we understand there's something about praise, praise is better together. I'll say that again. Something about praise, that praise is better together. Because when praise collectively, in person, you're hearing, what I think what's happening is you're hearing somebody else praise, and they're praising differently than how you do, but you're learning from them and seeing from them, and there's a didactic relationship going on there that helps us to actually praise the praiseworthy. I believe, I really believe that there's a good percentage of what's wrong with us in the world is our lack of praise for the praiseworthy. And you say, okay, how do I know that? Let me give you my own list of what I think praise does. Here it is, right, quickly. One, praise brings perspective. How do I know that? Because it allows you to see things that you have and not just what you want. It brings perspective. Two, praise brings nearness to God. When you're, when you're not praising, it's, you tend to be further away. It centers you on who you are. But when you praise, it centers you on who he is. So it brings nearness to him. Three, praise brings contentment. Because the more you see him, the less that you, you, you see the things that you think you need. It brings contentment. Four, it can bring transformation. It doesn't always, but it can. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. So that's just four things that praise can do for you, and there's an infinitely longer list as well. So, first aspect of worship is to look up to see who he is. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Now, all right, number two, 
Worship is also, secondly, kneeling down to the Redeemer to see who you are. If you, ha- we don't, we're going to bring back bulletins, by the way, in September, the physical bulletins. But right now, on, in your app, online, what you can see, how, what we do here is we start our service every week with songs of praise. You go up to see the creator for who he is. But then we go down. Now look at the psalm again. The psalm in verse 1 says, sing. Oh, come, let us sing. But look at verse 6. He says, oh, come again. Let's worship. But this time, how? It says, by bowing down. The psalmist says, let us kneel down before the Lord, our maker. Now, some people don't see the natural progression of, of how does praising him lead to, uh, on, focusing on him lead to us focusing on ourselves in confession. But I, I think it's actually pretty natural. I mean, let me show you how. Have you ever come in contact with greatness? When I, I'll put it this way. I mean, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. If you're a musician, let's say you're the best musician in your school, and everybody thinks you're great. Everybody's saying, oh my gosh, you're so good at this instrument. When you come in contact with greatness, you meet somebody who is better than you, what happens is all of a sudden you start seeing your own flaws where you're not so good. Uh, in high school, I ran the 800 meter. And part of the reason I did that is because the 800 meters is half a mile. It's too far for the sprinters. The sprinters hate it because it's too long. But the distance people don't like it either. So I'm like, I might be good at something. So I ended up being the, I did, 800, I did the 800. In my senior year, I was undefeated in, in the 800. I ran against other schools. There were some times I was just like, what's up? Undefeated. Got to the regionals. Came in seventh place. And the reason why I came in seventh place is there was a lot of other people better than me that I had not been watching. I had not been comparing myself to. I had not been uh, measuring myself against them. But when I came in contact with greatness... When I actually got close to them, I was like, yeah, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. And that's what happens is that when you praise him enough, when you get close to God, you will see your need, you will see your imperfections in relationship to who he is when you compare yourself to somebody greater. And I actually think a lot of our, again, a lot of I think our um, self-deception is we're not comparing ourselves to the right things. Right? When, 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 um, when you don't have people faster than you, you, don't, you can't see your inability. You can fool yourself that we're doing okay, I'm doing okay. Which, by the way, let me, let me back up for a second. Some of you are going to push back right now and say, well, um, you know, we don't need somebody else to tell us how to live. We don't need somebody else to comp- that You're going to have such low self-esteem if you're always comparing yourself. We don't need to compare ourselves because, you know, nobody created me. Nobody made me. I'm, I'm, I'm who I am. And, and you, often this view is fused with this larger view of humans have just evolved out of nothing. And when they die, they go to nothing. But somehow you can have meaning and purpose now. Which I've always, by the way, I always find that fascinating, right? You've come from meaninglessness. There's no meaning in your, where you came from. And when you die, there's going to be meaninglessness. And there's nothing, there's no, you know, there is no greater further thing. But somehow you can have meaning in between. That makes no sense. That logically doesn't make any sense. That you can actually have those things together. But what makes more sense is this. 
why is social media blowing up? It's blowing up because we're comparative people. And we're going online with our identities and we're saying, I'm looking for confirmation of who I am. And if I don't find it, I get really mad. Why are they saying and speaking against my identity? And if we do find it, we feel pretty good. All right, and that's why everybody's going online to find the little micro-communities of the people who exactly say and, and, and have the same views that we do. But that's comparison. You say, I don't compare myself. Yes, you do. You can't not because we're comparative people. So we have a choice again. Here's the next choice you have. Your choice is this. Are you going to compare yourself to others by some cultural standard that's going to always change? Culture's always changing, and what, what's good and what's bad and what's valid and what's in and what's not in, it's constantly changing. Are you going to compare yourself to that as far as what matters, or are you going to compare yourself to him? Because I think with confession, what happens right after we sing those praises, we go down into confession. Lewis just led us through our prayer of confession, which is written for you because sometimes we don't have the words ourselves. We don't know where to start. But then there's time for you to take time by yourself to confess but what's happening that moment, the goal there is as you take inventory of your life, as you maybe for just a moment for the first time in the entire week, you kind of are honest about your failings. When you confess, the glimmer of that honesty for a moment allows you to change, or at least gives you the possibility to change. And you say, well, how is that possible? Because without it, you don't know your need. You don't know where you're lacking. As we just said, you're not comparing yourself. And if you don't know your need, you're never going to ask this question. Here's the most important question that you could ask after confession. It's what hope do I have? That's probably the best question you could ask. At the end of the day, when, when confession, at the end of confession, it's like, Lord, after all this, what hope do I really have? And you don't get that to that question unless you're kneeling down, unless you're, unless you're, you're if you don't do that, your hope is in your career, it's in your it's in your comfort, it's in your looks, it's in your money. Your hope is going to be found in other things. Only kneeling down, Lord, what hope do I have? It's in that question where we're admitting that we worship something else. And so remember what I said, if worship is just giving all that you are to all that something else is, no offense, everybody's worshiping. You don't get to choose not to worship. You're worshiping something, whether you know it or not, in this world. What you do get to choose is what you worship. So please don't tell me, hey, Mike, I can't, can't make it to worship next week. Because guess what? You are worshiping in another time, in another space, with, to something else. You're worshiping comfort, maybe. Maybe you're worshiping uh, your career. That's why I, I, can't, I, I can't come next, next week. Some relationship, some other priority. And so maybe before we move on to our last point, the question, most important question you could ask yourself is, what am I worshiping right now? Right? The psalmist is asking us, look at verse 7. He says, come let us today kneel down. The time frame here is that there's an earnestness here. That not waste, that's not wait, that's not tarry till we're better. What are we worshiping? What are we giving all that we are to all that something else is, and it can't give it back to us, what we need? That's the question to ask. So, recap. First thing of worship is up to the creator to see who he is. Secondly, it's down into uh, kneeling down to see who we are. Last point. After you do those two things, 
The third thing to do here is to listen carefully to the rest giver to see where we're going. Up, down, out is the order of our service. Look, look, look at verse 7. After you praise, after you kneel, then the, look what it says. He says, listen to his voice. Listen to what he's saying. You say, okay, what's he saying? Well, the next verse, 8 and 9, is an account from Scripture. Right? What's the voice saying? You can, by the way, you can listen to God's voice in beauty. In, in I love hiking. I love seeing a mountain. I love paintings. You can see God in beauty. But the clearest way to, to hear his voice is in his word, in Scripture, where you're going to hear about his redemptive plan. You're going to hear about the restoration of all things. And then look at the very last line. If you do that, verse 11, you'll get the rest giver. And now in verse 11, it's put in the negative, right? You're, you're, you're told the consequences of not hearing him is then you have no rest. But then the question is, okay, fine. Last thing for us is, what would it look like to rest in his voice? What would that look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It's not legalism. Legalism is, is the fancy way to say following a law, whether it's a law that you create or some other person creates, but that phrase, do better, that everybody is saying and thrown off, off at each other, that often ends into a type of legalism. Hey, do better. You know, I have a, I'm going to judge you based on how I think you need to live. Or canceling. What's canceling? It's like, you know what? You're out from my community because you don't actually do what I want you to do. Culture for decades, I, I thought was fascinating, was always like, you do you. Hey, you do you. Which was interesting because I was like, wow, no culture has ever done that before. But that's changing now. Now we're saying, no, you do you as long as it's what I, we tell you to do. That's a legalism and it won't work. But you know, what, you know what else won't work? Entering his rest is not relativism either. Right? What's, what's relativism? It's, it's I can live any way I want. That God's, God doesn't care or if he does care, he's going to forgive me because he's God and God is love. But why is that not restful? I think we already told you. You're worshiping something. You're, and usually, if it's not the creator God of the universe, it's whatever culture is telling you today is the thing that you should worship to get happiness. So it's a relationship. It's a career. It's, it's money. I mean, it's whatever. I mean, 300 years ago, culture didn't say worship money. They were like, no, that's a bad thing. But today it is. But culture keeps changing. The world's going to keep changing. Um, back in the 70s, 1970s, there was the, the sexual revolution, right? It was, it was a big deal because before you weren't supposed to have, I mean, it was always faux, a faux pas to have sex outside of marriage. But now the sexual revolution, everybody realized with Freud coming home and, and, and sort of convincing our culture that you should do whatever you want with whomever you want with your body. So the sexual revolution was a place where as long as it's consensual, there's no problem here. What's the problem? So you want to know what happened? College faculty were having sexual relationships with students. And nobody said a word about it because you shouldn't speak against somebody else's experience. This is their identity. This is who they are. What's so interesting is it's been 50 years since then. Today, if college faculty have a, you know, have... Uh, some sort of sexual relationship with, with students, now they can get brought up on charges. Now you can actually go to jail for that because what's happened is we said, whoa, that's an abuse of power. They, that's not okay. See, what was okay is no longer okay anymore. Culture will keep changing. This is why 
Uh, we look back to the, the culture 100 years ago and say, those people did horrible things. How dare they? We all know better now. Guess what? 100 years from now, people look back at, at us today and say, you did horrible things. There's no rest in relativism either. How many of us are tired because we think it's because of the pandemic and I'm overworked and I just don't have the, the, the healing structures that I need, but really it's because you're not listening to his voice to rest, that you're not actually resting with him. You can't just command yourself to rest. You also can't, by the way, I don't think you can command yourself to praise either. Praise is, an, I think as I already said, it's a natural movement. When you see something worthy of praise, you start clapping and, and, and the ovation happens. But you can't command yourself to do it. You have to see it. So where will you see the beauty that will elicit the praise? Where do you see it? Well, last thing to say here is this. I think Christians have something that nobody else has. The whole world believes if there's no beginning, there's, right? If, there's no, if, there's, if you come from meaninglessness and you're going to go to meaninglessness and this world is going to die because the sun's going to burn out one day, you know, millions of years from now. But, you know, eventually whatever you do is not going to matter. That trivializes your work. That nullifies what we do. But the implicit thing in this psalm becomes explicit in the New Testament. There we learn that Jesus is the creator of all things. The psalm says that God is the creator. You know what? Jesus says, I am that I am. This psalm says God is the true shepherd. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am that shepherd. This psalm says... Listen to my voice, the true word. Jesus says, I am the word in John chapter 1. And where's rest? You say, where's rest? Jesus says, come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Why? Why can you rest in him? You can rest in him because you don't have to be a legalist anymore and earn your salvation and apply it to other people, and you don't have to be a relativist blown about by every cultural trend, everybody telling you what is the right way to live and not the right way to live, some cultural fad that will go away. No, we rest in him. If you look at the next psalm, Psalm 96, it says that the earth is glad. There's such joy in seeing him for who he is that even the, the trees will sing. And then what's always a curious thing is they're rejoicing in judgment coming. I don't think most of us get up in the morning and go, I'm so glad judgment is coming. But we should because what judgment means is putting the things right that were wrong. We're looking for just justice comes through judgment. And we need one who will renew and liberate all things. And if, if you knew today, better than you did just two hours ago, that even though things aren't the way that they're supposed to be right now, but we know they will, and we know that he, he's going to bring them. Even better, we can be part of the process of bringing that redemption and restoration in all of creation. If we can do that, that means there's work for us to do, by the way. But the work is inside of his rest. It's inside of, of, of sitting and singing and looking at that Monet and seeing the trees. And if they're going to sing, guess what, folks? What do you, what do you think you could do? If they're just a dim shadow of, of what they could be, 
then that means you're a dim shadow of what you will be. And we can rest in knowing that. That it can energize us into the next day, into the next day, and the next day. And now we worship not just because of what God is, but because of what he's doing. And that can elicit praise up to the creator and then move us down into kneeling as we admit our wrongs. And now we can sit and say, Lord, what hope do I have? You know what the answer is? It's in his rest. That's the hope that we have. See Jesus, hear his voice. Friends, please come to him today. You might think that you have, but I don't know if we've really, anybody really worships well. That when you might be able to make your, you, you can't make yourself love God, but you know what you can do? You can sit in a space to gaze at his beauty, and in time, it will elicit that ovation. And as that happens more, and as you compare yourself, you realize your need, and then you see his love. And then you know what happens? Grace becomes new. You can taste it new. Maybe you've grown up in the church, you've heard about Jesus and grace, and ah, uh, yada, yada, yada. But it's not. It's renewed and you knew because at the heart of Christianity is not a principle. It's not a law. It's a man who sees others destroying themselves and wanting to destroy him and he dies for them. And guess what? If you put that at the core of who you are, you might see the people trying to destroy you. You might see the world destroying itself, but you will die for them too. If he's willing to die for them, and you put that at the core of who you are, you will be able to die for them too. Because we're changed by his grace. It's receiving him and sitting in that. Friends, start today. The psalmist says today, today, today. That's the practical application out of this. When do you start? Today. And what's more practical than that? By start saying, Lord, I've worshipped anything and everything other than you. But today is a new day, and I give all that I am to all that you are. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, worship is so simple of a concept because we are individuals in time and space and we can give our time and our emphasis and our, our being to something or someone. But Father, we, we tend to do that to anything and everything but you and it's never enough. Help us to see you. Help us to praise you like the psalmist started with, to sing for joy because you are the creator, because you are the sustainer, because you hold all things in your hand and you're bringing renewed truth and love into this world. We need it more now than ever, Father. And Father, I know you, it, it's what's amazing is you'll use us as the feet and hands to do your work. But first, help us to sit and gaze in awe and wonder of your love. Move this into our hearts now more than ever. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.